Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. If I were to ask you what you think the most used and most in-demand guitar effect is, what would you say? The answer will be completely obvious to most everyone, but many don't give that answer right away because this effect is expected by most and is always on for many. By now, you've figured out that we're talking about reverb, so let's dive in. Reverb is often referred to as just a very short delay, but that's not entirely correct. Reverb is all about the tonal landscape created by the location where the music is played. By default, true reverb is completely natural and is dramatically impacted by the size of the space, the materials used in the space's construction, and the number of sound reflective surfaces that the sound waves interact with. If you've ever been to a concert in a well-architected concert hall, you've experienced natural reverb, and while there are no tone controls or knobs to tweak, the sound is live and wide and quite spectacular. That's because true concert halls were built to leverage reverb and designed for use with non-amplified instruments. Some recording studios had reverb capabilities built as part of the design of their studio locations. Abbey Road and Capitol Records studios were designed with natural reverb in mind. So too were the studios at Oceanway Studios. The concept being that the natural reverberation was there for the taking, depending on how the engineers placed the microphones and what types of microphones were used. As track counts on desks increased, more flexibility was afforded to great engineers and producers to leverage reverb effectively. Sports arenas do not take reverb into account. Neither do clubs and bars. So the demand for a way to reproduce reverb in places where it wasn't really there naturally increased. Folks often equate instrument reverb with Leo Fender, but it was actually Bill Putnam, Bill Putnam of Universal Audio fame, who first used artificial reverb on a recording back in 1947 on the record Peg O' My Heart by the Harmonicats. He put a microphone in the studio bathroom and used it as a tiny echo chamber. The tile and ceramic reflective surfaces made the reverb usable and pleasing. You could think of this reverb as a very short delay, but with modulation caused by the nature of the reflective materials. In the late 1950s, Electromestechnik, please pardon my mispronunciation of the original German, created the first plate reverb by mounting audio transducers to metal plates in order to get the plates to vibrate and generate reverb that would be mixed with the dry sound. This unit is the widely loved EMT-140, a personal favorite of mine when it comes to reverb. Bell Labs invented the spring reverb using a transducer at one end and a pickup at the other end, passing the signal through a set of springs in an enclosed box, what we commonly call a reverb tank. The first commercial use of this was in Hammond organs, although the patent was granted to Lawrence Hammond way back in 1939. 
The concept of the spring tank was adopted by Leo Fender and introduced in his amplifiers that offered a reverb option. That sound was popularized by surf bands in the 1960s and most aggressively used by surf guitar legend Dick Dale. Mr. Dale also worked closely with Leo Fender on building extremely loud amplifiers that stayed clean at full volume. Digital reverb was developed to create a pristine reverb signal without any of the downsides of mechanical reverbs. The first to market was introduced in 1976 in the EMT-250. There were other reverbs prior to that that weren't full digital and available on rack mount devices such as those made by Lexicon, a favorite of many classic rock acts. Hugh Padgham and Phil Collins created gated reverb, which used a noise gate to kill the reverb tails really quickly. This sound became a staple of 1980s pop music, and you can hear gated reverb in Phil Collins' hit in the air tonight. By adding pitch shifting to digital reverb, makers created what we call shimmer reverb. The Eventide Space is a great example of a shimmer reverb device. Now we have pedals both analog and digital that create and deliver reverb effects. A digital reverb pedal can vary in price substantially depending upon the variety of reverbs and the quality of the reverb signal. In one box, we can have the sound of spring, plate, hall, room, cathedral, and shimmer reverbs with control over the reverb decay, the delay before the reverb kicks in, we call that pre-delay, as well as the tone for the reverb itself, as bleeding off the highs over time is a consequence of natural reverb. Reverb pedals can often have modulation controls, not just for shimmer, but to add an increased delay to add a chorus-like effect, or even more delay to create a short sort of slapback echo. A TC Electronic Hall of Fame 2 gives a ton of really good sounding reverbs at a relatively low price, while for more money, it's very hard to beat the Strymon family of reverbs, which include the massively powerful Big Sky, the simpler Blue Sky, the time-twisting Night Sky, and the new Cloudburst, which uses a unique digital processor set to create choral accompaniment to the original signal inside the reverb. If you've never heard this sound, I encourage heading over to Strymon.net to listen to the samples, although doing so could hit you right in the wallet. There are more reverbs out in the world today than I'm willing to try to count. Some are really superb, and candidly, some are quite awful. So you're best advised to go try a few out before making a purchase decision if you can. Now, if your location and circumstance make that not possible for you, the TC Electronic Hall of Fame 2 is a good multifunction reverb. If you don't like reading documentation or are worried about option paralysis, I would recommend either the Strymon Blue Sky or the Source Audio Ventress. These are superb reverbs, but lack the incredible variations found in the Strymon Big Sky or Strymon Night Sky. If you're really wealthy and love the look of motorized faders, you could consider the Chase Bliss CXM1978. Please note the part about being really wealthy. It's a good sounding box, but it's really expensive.
If you're a recordist and use plugins in your digital audio workstation, I recommend the following universal audio plugins, Capital Chambers, Oceanway Studios, and my favorite, EMT-140 Plate Reverb. As we wind up, some of you may be asking why a reverb pedal at all, as many amps come with built-in reverb. A number of the amps that I own don't have built-in reverb at all. My old Marshall Custom Super Lead Mark II has no reverb, neither does my Vox Handwired AC30 or the Tone King Gremlin. Other amps have reverb circuits, but most of them leave me underwhelmed. I do really like the distinctive sound of a long spring tank as I find in many Fender tube amps, as well as the spring in the Tone King Imperial Mark II. That one's just really awesome, like a Fender Blackface twin. But you're the player. You decide on the reverb type that works best for you. I hope that this episode has provided some depth on the subject of the most in-demand guitar effect. Always feel free to send a, an email or post a comment. I read and respond to all. As always, thanks very much for listening. Please subscribe to the articles and the podcast so you get notified when a new one is posted. Until next time, peace. Peace.